Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Chris Johnson. Chris is a business attorney with a JD and an MBA, so you know he knows what he's talking about here. His firm, Johnson Law, has provided legal counsel to different businesses across many different sectors, including dentists. Today, he's our guest on Financial Flossing. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. First question here. Some lawyers have JD behind their name and some lawyers don't. Tell everyone what JD means. <laughs> okay, so JD is the degree that we receive. It's a Juris Doctor, okay? Everyone, it's a requirement to have a JD in order to take a bar exam. And you have to take a bar exam to practice law, okay? So people that practice law are called attorneys. People with JDs are called lawyers. That's another distinction that can be made. So people that are attorneys and that actually practice law in one or more states, don't put JD behind their name. You see JD behind people's name when they want to show off that they went to law school, but they're mostly in a business role. That's when I see it most of the time. Um, they'll put you know, their name, JD, but they're in a business role of the company, but they're signaling to people, I went to law school for three years, but they're not typically, typically, there's probably some exceptions, but they're not typically practicing attorneys. But you're a practicing attorney in multiple states. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Texas, Florida, New Mexico. And then okay. my, among my other attorneys, we cover you know spots throughout the country. Nice. So tell everyone what a business lawyer does. Okay. Think a business lawyer is a colloquial way of saying we represent businesses and entrepreneurs with their issues. It's a pretty broad term. When you're at a bigger firm, the practice groups will get segmented into corporate and securities, real estate, employment, business litigation. So I use the business uh, term business lawyer, and you see it out there um, in the industry to refer to generally, we help businesses with the needs that they require. So that would not include any criminal, it would not include any family law, and then it sometimes excludes, as it does in my case, like any hyper special areas like patents. You have to be a have a science background to even be a patent attorney. And I don't have a science background. I'm a business guy. But you see, it seems like the law world is broken down into two different, you have a lot of generalists and then you have a lot of specialists, but like the specialists are the things you see of like, okay, personal injury attorneys, real estate attorneys who do a lot of closings, divorce attorneys. Those are the ones you see kind of typically as you drive down the road, their sign, their billboards or their offices. And then you have a lot of general attorneys. Obviously, you have a lot of higher end estate planning attorneys, depending on where you live. If you live in higher income or higher net worth areas, you see that. 
But then you have a lot of generalists, but you don't hear a lot about business attorneys. Lots of times, like you said, in a large law firm, you see that segment. And you know, we're dealing with a large law firm for you know just a small business owner or entrepreneur typically doesn't make sense because it's incredibly expensive. It can be incredibly bureaucratic. And so it's why someone like a dentist would want to deal with someone like you, right? Right. And we have a lot of dentists, doctor, vet type clients, uh, people just in the you know kind of general medical field generally. And they love us because we do. We, most of us came from big law from bigger firms or came having in-house counsel experience. We know what we're doing. We can really handle a lot of those subspecialties within that umbrella of business law. And look, I'm not the expert in every everything. There might be someone on my team that's better at doing a real estate deal than me. Like I, my specialty within that sub that umbrella is really mergers and acquisitions. So that's what I tend to focus on. But but back to what I was saying. What my model allows is for that dentist to hire a high quality attorney without spending a thousand plus an hour. And here's the kicker too. When they go out and spend 800,000 plus an hour at some big firm thinking they need this specialized attorney, they get kicked to some associate (laughs) that they end up working with. And that associate may or may not know what they're doing. I certainly was there as an associate at a big firm, cutting my teeth and learning along the way. And that's just kind of the model. So my model is there are no associates. They're all partner level attorneys. Everyone at the firm has seven, eight years plus experience. So when a client's working with an attorney, it's a one-on-one relationship with an attorney that really knows what they're doing. Well, the first thing you see on your website is never trust a business attorney. And then smaller font underneath it says, who doesn't know business? So I'm sure you have horror stories galore. So talk a little bit about that bold statement. Okay. Well, maybe that bold statement is a little bit of marketing, right? I do have a marketing. Maybe so. Maybe so. That's okay. (laughs) I do have a marketing background. I was the general counsel and the chief operating officer of an advertising agency. I loved it. Worked on tons of cool projects. And so I really do have a passion for marketing to this day. But it was marketing, but it is a true statement too. So here's the deal. So I don't care about people that major in psychology or political science or criminal justice or any of those things. And those are all great degrees. There's nothing wrong with them. But for my firm and what we offer, I want people that understand business. Most of our attorneys have some kind of business degree or business background because business involves a certain kind of language and there's a certain kind of common sense. I think a lot of the bad rap that attorneys get is just doing unnecessary work. It's like there's some legal issue and the partner kicks it to the associate. I need a memo on this legal issue. The client doesn't give a crap about the memo. Okay. It's all they just want an answer, common sense answer. And so we're really good at looking the cost of things. Not just because because lawyers want to cover every base and be super ultra sure about everything. And that's not that we don't do that, but I think we draw the line in a more common sense way. We straddle the line between serving the business and just not over lawyering things. We like to think of ourselves as business people too, understanding that 
you know, not everything's risk-free. We can't guarantee everything, but we can kind of lay out the options for the client and let them proceed. But if you want your attorney understanding your business, I think that is fundamental. Yeah, that's great. Now, you you said earlier, before we talked, before we hit the record button, you said a lot, you do a lot of mergers and acquisitions. And obviously, there's a lot of dentists who retire and new associates buy them. or Especially you now. Well, yeah. And then you have all these private equity DSOs coming in and buying people out. But you said earlier that a lot of mergers and acquisitions aren't even legal. And I've heard stories about people being represented by um, having a private equity group buy them out and their attorney literally being way over his head. And like they were just taking, I mean, they were eating alive at closing and it was just not a good experience. So talk a little bit about actually knowing what you're doing for a mergers and acquisitions type of scenario and, you know, how important it is to be represented, especially if you're selling to a large corporation. Right. Okay. So those groups that are doing roll-ups and they, they do them across different industries, right? I've got a deal going on right now in the insurance industry. So they'll focus on an industry or a niche um, and they'll do it's a big. It's big in the vet market. It's big in the optometrist market. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it was big in the medical market. That's kind of old and gone yeah. now. And so, but it's really dentists, vets, and optometrists from what I've seen, but there's others, I'm sure. Right. So, and for your audience, so a roll up is when a company is out there with the goal of taking a bunch of smaller practices, they're essentially are fragmented, right? And bringing them together under one umbrella with uh, centralized marketing and getting synergies and marketing and technology and processes, but then retaining those local offices. And so, so back to what I was saying. So if they're going to buy a dentist and, you know, and dentists, aren't particularly knowledgeable about mergers and acquisitions. They shouldn't be. Um, So, you know, I think the worst thing you could do is try to do it yourself. I think the second worst thing you could do is try to use the attorney that has helped you out with little things along the way. You really want someone that knows mergers and acquisitions. And so here's why. So those roll-up companies, they do these things one, they might be doing a couple of months. They're professionals. They have form agreements they know the negotiating points, they've done these before, and they know when the other side, how far they can push with the other side. They see some transactions with unrepresented people, they see some transactions with really great attorneys on the other side. And one of the most important things you can do is once you get that draft letter of intent from the buyer, is to get it to a knowledgeable attorney that can make some substantive changes that signals to the buyer, I've got an attorney that knows what they're doing. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not, remember this is the business line, I'm not saying tear the whole letter of intent apart. I'm not saying blow up the deal. I'm making, say, make with a scalpel, make some really good changes in there for your client that shows that you have an attorney that knows where to push back on the deal. And that sets the tone for the rest of the transaction. Yeah, that's so helpful right there. It's so helpful because, you know, and what happens, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen these dentists will get offered by three, the broker will bring three or four offers to the table. And, you know, most people look at it just as, oh, well, how much is the offer? It's nine, yes. it's 9.1 versus 9.5. What's well, $400,000 yes. more? But there's a lot of fine print that makes a big difference there. You might be getting $400,000 more for a reason, and it may not be a reason you want. 
Can I talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Don't just look at the dollar number. You could be offered more, but there might be a reason. There are actually are buyers out there that will offer a high amount to entice the seller to start negotiating with them. And then they'll even, they can draft the APA, I'll call it the asset purchase agreement, which is how these are normally structured. It's a sale of assets to a new entity. Um, You can get through that agreement and now the buyer's trying to negotiate on the back end. It's like going to the car dealership, right? And they lure you in with this good deal and you've been sitting there for four hours and it's 10 o'clock at night and you haven't had dinner and you just want to get back to your kids and you go back into the finance office and they beat you up for the last time and you just want it to be over with. There's a lot of unscrupulous buyers like that. And so it's not just the terms of the agreement. There's thing, terms that are important, like a non-compete, non-solicit. You, earnouts typically aren't good for a seller. The seller's goal is to get as much money in their pocket at closing as they can. What an earnout does is defer some of the purchase price to a later date based on performance of the company. You know, that just leaves open disputes. And again, so the, the seller wants money in their pocket. Now, one last final thing. And and as you defer that, that's actually less money because inflation takes that away. Yeah, time value money and all that. Yes, yes, that's that's a very good point. So terms aside, and I went through some of the terms, I think it's important for a seller to sell to someone that they align with on a value culture level. And that's not legal advice I'm giving. That's like business advice because you'll feel better about selling to that person and the deal will probably turn out better because they're just more honest people. Well, that, that's a big deal because I actually know dentists who have sold to DSOs and the DSO has ruined their name, ruined their reputation in small towns and they've ruined their name and their reputation. And so just because you know they really didn't have anyone to advise them, they were smart people, really smart people, but they just didn't. I mean, it just was an area that they were very well versed in and the limited amount of advisors they have weren't that ver- well versed in it either. And so it's just, you know, uh, the reputation has a monetary value as well. I realize some people want to, you know, get their money and move on and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you don't want to do that at the expense of, you know, ruining your reputation. And I think selling the right people is, is a critical thing. That's a great point. So one of the things that, well, we'll talk about some of the more trivial is not the right word, but compared to a merger, a sale of a practice, what are some of the more kind of other legal aspects that, you know, someone like a dentist who owns their own practice really needs to involve a business attorney in? That's a great question. And you know what I offer for free to most clients um, is really kind of an audit. And that's not like a whole day thing, but literally it could be a couple hours, get on the phone, talk to them, and then they can just start sending me, I can start understanding their business and they can start sending me their agreements. Here's where I find- Let me me interrupt. You know what my pet peeve is, which in my experience, so few are done right, buy sell agreements. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rarely are they done right. And they're even less well, are they less often are they funded? Right. (laughs) That's a really good point. So 
That I would call like the internal governance document. So your buy-sell agreement, your shareholders agreement, your operating agreement, if it's an LLC and all the provisions in there, um, especially if there's some kind of partners involved, which there would be with that buy-sell. That's like fundamental. And there could be so many issues there. I just did a vet deal and um, their shareholders agreement was was crap. And so I did a actually a, a stock sale to one of, to one of the other vets. And now I'm going to go back and clean up the corporate documents. So that's kind of like the nuts and bolts, internal governance, corporate work. I think that's one bucket of things. And another bucket is all the employment stuff. So the employment agreements, the independent contractor agreements, the employee handbook, any other policies and procedures, I find that those are oftentimes a mess as well. Now, obviously, dentists can make a real lot of money. Some of them do, some of them don't. And, you know, a lot of them will wear scrubs to the office. The example I use is a lot is that we know we're not supposed to look at our phones as they ring, ding and buzz, but we all actually do it while we're driving. And, you know, if you look down at your phone and you rear in somebody and it could be catastrophic, it could be, you never know what could happen. If you get out of your car wearing scrubs, or if they find your name and they realize you're a dentist, my belief that they're always going to think you make more money than you do. So. Let's kind of change gears a little bit here. What do you see as the biggest mistakes that business owners, specifically dentists, make that is real easy for them to fix that they shouldn't do? And it's real easy for them to fix. And, you know, what kind of advice are you giving them? Is that just general, like, biggest mistake ever? Are we talking back on the mergers and acquisitions? Oh, both. Look, don't be cheap. And I hate to say that, like, you know, there's, there's a time to spend money and there's a time to save money. And when it comes to legal things, there's a lot of business owners that will try to do it themselves. I think if I told a dentist that I was going to do my own root canal, they would think I was insane. <laughs> so, so don't do your own root canal. Get a professional. It, you will have to spend some money. Get someone that knows what they're doing. But we're talking about liability and lawsuits and all those things. The amount of money that you save by doing it right, you will spend some money on the front end. If it goes to litigation, litigation is always an incredibly expensive proposition. I tell people that generally they average five to ten thousand a month for a year, year and a half. And there's you know give and takes in there, but litigation is just expensive and it's time consuming. So it's way better to get your ducks in a row in the front end. I find that most people have grand intentions of getting legal documents taken care of whatever type they are, but they always procrastinate because it's not urgent. They don't need them today. And, you know, you're going to need them and you need them before that event happens where you'll need them. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, and I did that myself when I did my estate plan. Every time that I've gotten life insurance, (laughs) I get it. You know, I deal with the issue and there's other things I'd rather be doing. I'd rather be spending my spare time with my kids and not working on, you know, an operating agreement. Well, I'm currently revamping my estate planning documents. And it's like, and no one ever wants to do it. They don't want to spend X thousand dollars doing it for documents they probably won't need for 30, 40, 50 years, but they still need them in the event, you know, something happens today. And it's like, you need to have, and by the way, having all these business documents in place, just like having your books done well will help your resale value. 
having your business documents and your policies and procedures are going to help you get a higher number at sale time, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Your numbers are really important. So working with your account, if you think you're going to sell, start working with your accountant to get your books all clean, to you know start to the extent you've been doing your taxes in a way that has been lowering your tax bill, do it in a way that it shows you have the highest profit possible. Um, so start, there's ways you can show the numbers in a different way and you work with your accountant on that. But you need to, you cannot do that a month before the sale. You can't do that once the LOI hits your desk. You have to do that now and you have to do your standard operating procedures. If the buyer has a book of standard operating procedures, they're literally going to be blown away. You can negotiate a higher multiple. And so that's that's what we call it. Generally, rule of thumb, how you value a business is they sell by multiples of EBITDA, that's earnings before interest, taxes, and appreciation. Essentially, in layman's term, EBITDA is profit. Okay, just think about it that way. And, and that's why you got to have books that show a profit. And then the more things you can bring to the table that show that you have a a business that can operate without you, like a real business, like you could step away and just leave, drop the keys on the table and they'd be printing money from day one. That kind of business commands a higher multiple. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. So what kind of advice do you typically, we talked about mistakes you make clients usually are always making. What advice do you typically give to your clients, regardless of who they are? What are what's my day-to-day or, advice? Well, okay, so what's like what's the most common advice that you find yourself giving clients over and over again? My clients are pretty sophisticated, honestly. You know, and my best clients call me, you know, at least once a week. Um, and they run things by me. I have really great clients. I'm really blessed. That's one of the reasons I love representing business people is they're more sophisticated than the average Joe for the most part. And they know the value of using a professional. But you asked a question, so I'm going to answer that question. You know, one of my favorite pieces of advice is time heals. And I'm not an avoider. I'm really not. I am a very assertive person. I like dealing with things head on. But what I've learned in my practice is that, you know, at the end of the day, we're dealing with people, whether they're on the other side of the deal or whether they're on the other side of a dispute. And sometimes kicking the can down the road is the best strategic advice because people might feel a certain way, right? Like you're you've had that fight with your wife and sometimes it's good just to like walk away and not engage for like another 24 hours and you have a totally different conversation. So that is very common advice I give my clients when they're very upset, they're very passionate. I literally say, let's just noodle on this. Let's, let's give it a night. Let's noodle on it. Let's circle back in a couple of days. Let's think about it. And I mean, almost always there's a different conversation once you add a little time to the equation. No, that's, that's good. That's wisdom right there. You know, um, I know if I let myself cool off, I will be a little more rational in my, uh, my response usually because I can get a little hot sometimes. So, can. so as we wrap this up, I'll, I'm a big reader. I read a lot. I always ask everyone, what are you reading? What have you read or what do you recommend? Do you have any book recommendations? 
so many. I literally on my LinkedIn profile, I post every quarter my favorite books for the quarter. One of them I'm listening to right now that I will post on is The Happiness Advantage, which I'm really enjoying because I've made that one of my life pursuits in the last two years to be happier, whatever that means, because I think that's a subjective thing for people. But the pursuit of happiness is the good thing is it's a decision. And there are like concrete things that we can decide to do to just be like baseline happier. Another good one that everyone's recommended to me that's next on my list, which I'm sure I'll love. So I'm just going to go ahead and recommend it as giftology because like five or six people have recommended that. And I'm going to um, be implementing a referral strategy this year. So first of all, are you only audible or you do actually like read them or just audiobook? Both. But I literally, I will read, I think for every 10 books I listen to, I will read one book. I do like reading on airplanes. There's something I like about reading. I listen to them because I'll get more done. When do you listen to them? When I walk my dog. I have a wonderful dog that loves to go like three to five miles a day. So I get exercise. I walk her and I listen to them. Okay, so that's probably like an hour, basically, roughly a day of listening to it. Yeah, yeah, an hour, hour to a day. That's fantastic. And how many books do you get through a month? Every quarter? So about 10 a month, I guess. Because every quarter I go through about 30. Holy smokes. I guess that compounds, you know, if you're an hour, hour and a half a day. Yeah. That's, I mean, boom, boom, boom. And you Um, add in driving. I'm going to Huntsville tomorrow morning, so I'll be listening to a book for an hour and a half. Oh, Yeah. Huntsville, Alabama? <laughs> no, I'm uh, Texas. Oh, yes, but yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, Huntsville, yeah. Texas, about an hour and a half away. So yeah, okay. it does compound. It's an easy way to read. What speed? What speed do you listen to? 1.25. Okay. I'm, I usually like 1.2. So that's good. So I just looked up Giftology. That looks really interesting. That looks really, really interesting right there. So it, oh, the book's almost it's over five years old. So have you, I assume, if you've read this much, I assume you've read Grit. Have you read Grit? No, but I'm going to write it down Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Grit is, there's two books that I say, uh, have you read Mindset by Carol Dweck? Carol Dweck. Like those are the two books, Mindset by Carol Dweck and Grit by Angela Duckworth. Like those are the two books that I like always recommend the most. Nice. Okay, cool. I, re- I wrote those down. I actually haven't read those. And here's my hack for your, you and your listeners. I tell everyone this. I have, yes. I get no referral fees. This is not affiliate marketing. There is an app called Libby, L-I-B-B-Y. It ties in with your public library. All you do is put your library card in and you can download books. I get 99% of my books for free. Oh, wow. That saves you a ton of money. Libby by, oh, yeah, I see it right here. Boom. I mean, why not? I mean, I did the audible thing for a while, but if I can get them for free, it's fine. I just, you say you some, some of them are on hold, but it's fine. I just go through, I get a pipeline of 10 books and they're just constantly hitting my feed. That's fantastic. So that's great. Well, Chris, this has been really enjoyable, very enlightening. And now if people want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? Okay, the best way would go to my Calendly. So Calendly, that's like calendar, but with an L-Y at the end, C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y.com forward slash Chris Johnson. It's C-H-R-I-S. 
And then Johnson's a little different. It's J-O-H-N-S-E-N. So I spelled it all out. I'll just say it one more time. Calendly.com forward slash Chris Johnson. That's my calendar. You can go straight on my calendar. Book a 30-minute, 15-minute call with me. It's free. I haven't set up. People are just putting calls on, on my calendar all week. I am always love to meet new people. And what states is your firm practice in? I know New Mexico, Texas, Florida, Colorado. What other states? California, Georgia. But with transactions, the rules aren't as strict as long as there's not real state-specific things. So if it's a transaction, we could pretty much do it anywhere. Oh, fantastic. That's great. So, well, like I said, this has been really interesting, a lot of fun. If you need an attorney, and you probably all do, uh, if you're listening here, you know, Chris is definitely someone you should talk to. Reach out to him, talk to him, see, see if he can help you in any way, shape, and time. So thank you so much for coming on, Chris. Thank you, Ross. Appreciate it. All right, guys, you've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brennan, and we will talk to you next week. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. 2021 11-95-35. Expires 423. That last part can also say 2021. 119535, expiration April 2023. Ross Brannon is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311-850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRASIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Neither Guardian nor its subsidiaries issue property, casualty, automobile, or liability insurance. 2022-134-167, expiration 324. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.